The text for us today is uh, the second reading, Psalm 73. Uh, it would be very helpful for you if you can keep your Bibles open to Psalm 73. I understand that at various points in time, the verses will be flashed out on the screen, uh, but you might find it actually helpful to just keep Psalm 73 open uh, during the sermon, uh, whether a physical copy like this or in your respective gadgets. Okay. Come, let us again uh, commit our time together to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to be able to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ before your word, assured of your presence and of your kindness towards us in the Lord Jesus. And I thank you especially, Lord, that you are our Heavenly Father who still speaks to us clearly from your word by your spirit. And as we come to your word afresh this morning, may your spirit indeed continue to teach us Open our eyes and ears, help us hear clearly what you are saying to us from your word. Strengthen our faith that is in you. And we pray that you will bless us as we again come before your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was uh, fun that uh, during the greeting time, I happened to sit in front of somebody who has been with uh, Smack almost since the very beginning. So lots of things uh, that she could remember and re uh, recollect what Smack used to be in those early years, bringing staff across the road to the building, uh, across, setting up week after week, so on and so forth. Well, I wonder how many do you remember, uh, not the beginning of Smack, but when was the first time you actually read the Bible. Do you still remember when was the first time you read the Bible? Do you remember what, were, what was your first impressions as you read the Bible? Was the Bible what you expected it to be? Okay, I won't ask you to turn around and talk about this because it's going to be a challenge to bring you back. But uh, it's good to keep those things in mind. Uh, I certainly do. Uh, I was 18 years old, as I mentioned earlier, when I first read the Bible. And I have to say, what I found in the Bible actually really surprised me. Coming from a non-Christian background, I expected the Bible to be like most religious writings that I knew of. Some kind of manual and instructions with wise sayings about what to do and what not to do. And being a religious document, surely, a lot to do with spiritual stuff, what's going on in the spiritual realm. To my surprise, I found in the Bible mainly stories. Lots of stories about people, about what happened to Jesus, but also about what happened to the life, in the lives of ordinary people, very much like you and me. And only the occasional mention about angels or demons, or even the devil. Since then, I have found even more surprises. For example, just about every single one of the heroes of faith that we come across in the Bible, they seem to have issues. Whether it's Old Testament heroes like Abraham or King David, 
or New Testament heroes like apostles, they all failed God one way or another. And then, the Psalms, which is supposed to be Israel's hymn book, worship book, they seem to give the impression that God's people are in trouble most of the time. They seem to be in pain most of the time. What's going on? The more I read of the Bible, one thing, become, uh, one thing becomes clearer and clearer to me. The Bible is really concerned about what is real, real experiences. The Bible is painfully honest about what's going on in our world. The faith, the Christian faith that is presented in the Bible, in God's Word, is never blind faith, you know, never just wishful thinking, just hoping for the best. No. Biblical faith is authentic faith that enables us to take a good and honest look at what's going on around us and still trust in God. And that is basically what we see in Psalm 73 that we read earlier. Trusting God even in a broken world. Well, let's take a closer look. Turn again to Psalm 73 if you have it in front of you. As you know, Psalm 73 is written by Asaph, one of Israel's worship leaders. It begins in verse 1 like many of our praise songs. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Sounds like the hymns that we normally sing. But that seems to be where the similarity ends. As a, a national worship leader, Asaph, he, he knows what he's supposed to believe. But the problem is, the moment he stepped out of the church, the church, so to speak, and he sees what's going on around him, he sees the opposite in the real world. Verse 3, what did he see? I saw the prosperity of the godly. No, that's not what the verse says. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then if you follow verses 4 to 11, you notice he lists down all the things that he sees about people who didn't fear God. Verses 4 to 5, they seem to be enjoying trouble-free lives. They have able bodies, they have great health. Verse 6, these people are proud, they are violent. Verse 7, they indulge themselves so much that their eyes swell and their hearts overflow, not with godliness, but with folly. Verse 8, these are the people who are quick to put other people down with their words. They are the people who are quick to bully others and threaten others. They are boastful, disrespectful. And verse 11, they even ridicule God. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Their recklessness seems to have no limit. It's not that they totally dismiss the reality about God. It's just that they seem to think that God is just largely irrelevant. 
They pay him lip service when they are in religious settings, but outside the church, the way they live their lives, Monday to Saturdays, perhaps even Sunday afternoons and Sunday nights, God is totally out of the picture. Now friends, I believe most of you know the Bible well here, and you know that these series of evil behaviour, they are behaviours according to the Bible, which are clearly deserving of God's judgment, of condemnation. Instead, as far as Asaph could see, they seem to be the winners in this world. And many people seem to think that way. Verse 10, their people turn back to them and find no fault in them. They don't see anything wrong with what these people are about and what they do and what they say. Actually, this verse 10 is a bit, apparently a bit tricky to translate. In your Bible footnote, if you have the ESV Bible, you will see that in the original language, it actually literally reads something like, the waters of a full cup are drained by them. Scholars suggest that the main idea of the text is this. People are actually drawn to these people to drink from their abundant waters. That's the idea. You see, the power, wealth, and influence of riches, they corrupt other people too. They are strangely attractive to many. They are the ones who get all the likes and all the views on YouTube, on YouTube and Insta. And verse 12, Asaph sums it up. These people, they are always at ease. They increase in riches. Popularity, health, wealth, they have it all. So back to verse 1. Truly God is good to the pure in heart. It sure didn't look that way to Asaph and many others of those who are trying to be pure in heart. So what to do? What to do when you go out of this church and see that this is what's going on in Kuala Lumpur, in Malaysia, in this world that we live in? Verse 13, Asaph continues. All this led him into a huge crisis. All in vain I kept, have I kept my heart clean and wash my hands in innocence. That's how he feels. It is all a waste of time to prepare songs for Sunday, to think about how to lead it in service, and to spend all the hours practicing with musicians. It is all in vain. That's how he actually really feels. Because if the wicked are the ones who are Successful. If they are the ones who prosper, why bother with all this spiritual mumbo-jumbo? And he shares in verse 14 how he had to struggle all this day long and how the burden actually grew heavier and heavier each new day. You know how it feels, isn't it? Week after week, coming to church, having to suppress that feeling what you see going on, what's going on in your mind, and come here have to appear happy, joyful, satisfying. 
and to make things worse. Verse 15, he realises that he has a duty because even though he was feeling all this pain that was destroying him, he must keep all this pain to himself. He cannot afford to stumble other people. He cannot come up and say, let's worship God, but actually I think this is a waste of time. He can't do that because others were looking up to him. He had to keep it all to himself. Can you feel that kind of pain? That's the worst kind of pain, isn't it, friends? Not just having the pain, but you have to go through it alone, all by yourself. Now, let us remember, Asaph is not a bad guy, okay? He's going through this struggle, not because he's arrogant, he's refusing to believe what he reads in the Bible of his time. Actually, it's the other way around. He is struggling because his faith is authentic. Because he's not happy to just tell himself, oh, just keep going to church, just keep singing happy songs. You feel better after you sing happy songs. Just keep going to growth groups and have fun, gila gila a bit, enjoy good food, and then just stay positive. Just don't think too much about what you are seeing around you. Just don't think too much. He's not satisfied with that. No, his is a faith that seeks understanding. His is a faith that is not afraid to ask why. Because his is a faith that is alive. And friends, that is what we must have also. Because biblical faith is a living faith that invites us to engage with real issues in life. Otherwise, it is a faith that is not worth having at all. Amen to that? So how did Asaph's faith crisis, how did it get resolved? Well, verse 16, actually he couldn't. He couldn't reason it out. He couldn't reconcile what he was observing with his understanding. At least not until verse 17, until he went into the sanctuary of God. When God's revelation enabled him to interpret his human observation, his crisis was finally resolved when his faith was back in focus, not on his own understanding, but focus on what God is showing him. John Calvin, the reformer, refers to the scripture, God's word, as the lens, the glasses through which Christians look into the world, the set of glasses that brings all things in focus. Asaph learned about this truth. I think this is a good description of what happened to Asaph here. Because as you know, the word of God in Psalm 119 is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is when we allow God's word to help us interpret what we see 
that's when we begin to really understand. Now, be careful. I'm not suggesting that when Asaph focused on God, suddenly he found all the answers to all the questions in his life. So it's not that suddenly he's got no more questions. But rather, as his faith became focused on God again, as he allowed God's revelation to help him interpret what he's seeing, he begins to see clearly again why trusting God makes sense in at least two ways. At least two ways. Firstly, verse 17. Asaph begins to see what really matters, not just now, but at the end. As the verse says, I discerned their end. When Asaph's face is refocused on God, he sees again God's justice, the reality of God's judgment day. And lo and behold, in that light, in the light of the end, the prosperity of the wicked, suddenly they do not look that great anymore. Verse 18, he realises that actually those people that he previously thought were the most successful, were the winners, they are the ones whose feet are on slippery ground. Because when judgment day comes, there will be no more. He says there will be like a dream that vanishes the moment you wake up in the morning. Poof! The dreams are gone. That's what they will be like at the end. And Asaph, as his eyes are refocused to God, he was reminded afresh what really matters at the end. Those who seem so successful now, they are not going to have the last word. Even his own thinking, Asaph realised he is not going to be able to have the last word, but the last word belongs to God. What God reveals now, and God will surely has the last word. That's the first thing. He begins to see clearly what matters in the light of the end. Secondly, in that same light, in the light of the end, he also begins to see the reality of what's going on in his own heart. You know, his feet have slipped because he became envious of people around them. But when his eyes are again focused on God, he begins to realise what's going on in his heart is actually foolishness. How foolish he is to envy them when all the while he already has something far better. With faith back in focus, he began to see who are the truly blessed, the truly happy in this world. Once I asked a group of children in church, when they go out, when they go look for food, which is better? To be able to finally bring their own wallet maybe even their own credit card, so that they can buy whatever with the money that they have, or to be able to bring their parents along. So let me ask a question again. Which is better, to be able to bring your own wallet, or to be able to bring parents along? Guess what they say? 
Who thinks they say, my own wallet, hands up. I see a handful of hands. Who think they say it's better to bring parents? The rest are undecided. Kids are quite smart. They say it's better to bring parents along. Why? Yeah, you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, when parents are around, they will gout him everything. Yeah, they just tell them what I want, and they don't have to worry about, oh, do I have enough money? Uh, have I reached my credit card limit? And so on and so forth. Parents will just gout him everything. Isn't that right? No wonder just now some of the parents actually raised their hand. Uh, they say better for the kid to bring their own wallet. Well, when Asaph's faith is refocused in God, on, on God, his faith became like little children again, like children who answered my question. Because he began to realize he already has something far greater than what he was envious of. He envied them for having money, popularity, health, whereas he already has what is far greater, the joy and the privilege, the blessing of knowing that God is always with him. That's why he says in verse 23, to have God holding him by his right hand. Verse 24, to have God guiding him all of life, even beyond the grave, into glory. Verse 26, to have the confidence even long after his body and health fails him, God is still looking after him. He already has something far greater than all those things that he was envious of. Now be careful, it is not so much that Asaph thinks that, wow, God is with me, I can finally buy whatever I want. Not quite that. It's quite sad, isn't it? If the only reason children look for their parents is when they want something. I wonder whether that's sometimes how we think of God. God is only good if he can keep me free from trouble, if he can give me good health, if he can give me a good job, if he can find me a good wife or a good husband, then I'll be happy in God. But that's not how Asaph thinks. Look at what he says in verse 25. He says, Whom, not what, but whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Sure, he knows that he can trust God to provide everything that he needs, but his faith in God's goodness will now no longer depend on what God will give him because he no longer sees God as useful, but he's begun to see God as beautiful. He discovered that the only treasure that truly matters at the end is God himself. To know God, that is eternal life, isn't it? Many of you would know uh, Miss Aung San Suu Kyi yeah, of Myanmar, 77-year-old uh, leader of Myanmar's National League for Democracy. 
Now, sadly, convicted of multiple charges, they will probably see her in jail for the rest of her life. Some of you may remember, in her earlier years, uh, she was quite a hit. And apparently, during one of her visits to Singapore, that's before she was elected, during one of her visits to Singapore, she caused a bit of a stir. Okay. Any Singaporeans here? Okay, just in case. Because if any of her Singaporean hosts were thinking that Aung San Suu Kyi, she will hold Singapore up and says, wow, I only wish if Myanmar were more like Singapore, they would be, they were in for a surprise. Because during a press conference, while Miss Suu Kyi, she admitted that, yeah, yeah, there's much that Myanmar can learn from Singapore, her main emphasis during the press conference was that, you know, Singapore has a lot to learn from Myanmar. A lot to learn about how to have a more relaxed way of life, how to have warmer and closer family relations. Because for her, there is more to life than GDP growth, material success. She wanted something more for her fellow Myanmaris like the importance of duty, the importance of spiritual values. It's amazing, isn't it, what a life of hardship can do to sharpen our sense of what really matters. Well, similarly, as we come to the end of Psalm 73, with his faith now in focus, Asaph is able to put his faith into action again. Verse 28, but for me, it is good, he says, to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Now again, remember, the world around SF hasn't quite changed. If you look around, the wicked is still stress-free. The wicked is still healthy, still increasing in riches. The data is still the same. That hasn't changed. But how Asaph now sees it, how he interprets as he steps out the church, now that is totally different now. He's beginning to see all things through the lens of Scripture, through what really matters at the end. And because of that, he can say with confidence, yes, it is good to be near God. It is good to tell of all his works. What about you, friends? Is your faith in focus? Are you still focusing on what's going on now? What you see around you? Or are you also really focused on what really matters at the end? Because those of us living this side of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have much more reasons than SF to keep trusting God even in a broken world. Remember, Asaph, Old Testament believer like him, they only have a shadow of the truth that what we now have in Jesus Christ. We are the one who is so blessed to see everything, how God has become flesh, God died and rose from the dead to show us the full extent of his love for us. And we have heard earlier on, 1 Corinthians 15, if the Christian faith is only about living well in this life, 
we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And his resurrection is proof, God's proof to the world that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice, with Jesus himself as the judge. The one with the last word is Jesus. And when we fix our eyes on him, it is then that we begin to see and understand more clearly the big picture and able to experience more fully God's kindness and goodness. In the words of Jesus, blessed are who? The pure in heart. Why? For they shall see God. This is why Tim Keller, many of you would know, American pastor, theologian, apologist, battling with stage 4 pancreatic cancer as we speak. Why Tim Keller can still say this, and and I quote, Tim Keller, I can sincerely say without any sentimentality or exaggeration, I have never been happier in my life. I've never had more days filled with comfort. Stage 4 cancer. Why? It's not because the pain of cancer is not real. He tells us how painful it is. But because with the reality of cancer and death comes also a greater focus on the far, far greater reality of God's love and the reality of His future resurrection. What matters at the end? And so with his faith in focus, he learned this wonderful truth. The less we try to make this world into a heaven, ironically, the more we are able to enjoy it. When we don't try to make this world into our heaven. What about you, friends? Is your eyes firmly fixed on what matters at the end? For Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Surely, that changes everything. So as we close, may God help us keep our faith firmly fixed on Jesus. That we can begin to experience the joy also that Asaph experienced. And be able to declare from our own hearts too. It is good to be near God our Saviour. I have made the Lord Jesus my refuge. I will tell of his wonderful works. Let us take a moment now to respond to what God has said to us this morning. Can I invite you to just take a moment to respond to God on your own? And after a moment of your own prayers, I will close in prayer. Let us respond.
Let us continue to pray. O oh, gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for speaking to us from your word, truths that truly matter at the very end. Lord, we confess that our hearts are often restless, especially when we focus on things around us, that our hearts are prone to become envious, that those who don't believe in you somehow seem to be so happy in life. O oh Lord, we ask for your forgiveness, but we thank you, Lord, for drawing us again to yourself this morning as you speak to us afresh from your word. Help us, O oh Lord, to hear what you are saying to us and to understand at the end of the day, we can only find true rest in you our God and our Saviour. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for drawing close to us, even at times when we feel we are so far away from you. And may you continue to encourage us and help us to encourage one another with your word of truth so that more and more we can really see all things through the lens of your word and hold on to you, the greatest treasure that we have in you. The greatest treasure that we can have is you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for, O oh Lord, you have shown yourself to us. So we commit each other to your grace afresh as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.